I'd invite you to follow along with me in the scripture lesson that we have this morning from Mark's Gospel, from chapter 13. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings? Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now, I did not choose this scripture passage for today. This passage is part of our narrative lectionary series, working our way through Mark's gospel. But wow, it is a doozy. On this fifth Sunday in Lent, a week before Palm Sunday, this is actually a pretty typical passage that comes our way. And usually, in most years, we do some kind of theological fancy footwork to lessen its impact with the tremendous shock value that it delivers. But today, I think these words hit us squarely between the eyes. I don't think I've ever quite felt their impact as I have this year. Not ever having lived through a full-blown pandemic, I think, can do that. We're in the midst of an adjustment period now, aren't we? They say that change happens quickly, but adaptation takes time. Psychologically, adjusting to change is not instantaneous. Feeling like we've lost our bearings in unfamiliar territory is very much part of what is going on in and around us all. Even though our homes haven't changed, and with spring still very much on the way, we're still, I think, very unsettled about the change occurring underneath our feet and all around us. When we're already in the midst of the change that we're living through, it is very difficult for us to begin to envision something new. Times of transition like this don't happen very often. In some ways, as I've been thinking about that, they're like that moment when a flying trapeze artist has just let go of one bar and has not yet grabbed on to the next bar, suspended now in mid-flight, living in mid-air. Can you envision that? In this discombobulating social distancing time, we don't know what's next. We're anxious, we're antsy, we're unready to welcome anything new. We want the familiar. 
Feeling cooped up and socially distanced is not natural, but maybe, just maybe, there is something for us to learn in this time, in this different way, too. Some spiritual teachers have as their mantra these words, don't hurry to a new security. Don't hurry to a new security. That is, there is untapped potential in the process of floundering, as frustrating as that is. Part of the problem seems to be that when we are in the midst of transition, we can't begin to envision the new. So we have to take T.S. Eliot's difficult advice, as he wrote in his poem, East Coker, I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope, for hope now would be hope for the wrong thing. Again, don't hurry to a new security. In the normal busyness of life, we seldom take the time to widen and deepen our vision. In these in-between times now, awkward as they are, we have the opportunity to rediscover that we are more than just what is happening to us. We are more than our day-to-day living. Our souls are not just related to our everyday lives, but also to the order that God has built into all of our seasons of life together. When the walls come tumbling down in our lives, which can happen in all sorts of ways, it's reassuring to know that we rely on someone stronger than just ourselves alone, that Christ is indeed with us now and always. As the famous saying goes, no one is an island. It might be trivial to relate this COVID-19 outbreak to having a broken bone or a bout with a flu, but on an individual level, we might have had a similar experience of injury, readjustment, and recovery, living into a new way of doing things. The unexpectedness of change is a shock to the system, disruptive and disturbing. Now, our gospel lesson for today shares unexpected words from Jesus to his disciples. He throws them for a loop and turns their worlds upside down. As Mark sets the scene, Jesus is standing in the temple courtyard. One of the disciples, dazzled by the architectural majesty surrounding them, speaks to Jesus. He says, look, teacher, what large stones, what large buildings. Now, according to Josephus, a first century historian, The Jerusalem temple of Jesus' day was an awe-inspiring wonder. Newly rebuilt by Herod the Great, the temple's walls were made of stones 40 feet long. The temple's base itself was twice as large as the Roman Forum and four times as large as the Athenian Acropolis. King Herod reportedly used so much gold to color the temple walls that anyone who gazed at them in bright sunlight risked blinding themselves. Appropriately enough, the disciple in the story is impressed and tries to share his awe with Jesus. But Jesus isn't blinded or even dazzled. Instead, he responds with a direct question. Do you see these great buildings? Now, you have to ask, why does Jesus ask the disciple if he can see what the disciple has just invited Jesus to see? Aren't the two of them looking at the same thing? Well, no, they're not. They're not seeing the same thing at all. What the disciple sees is an architectural marvel. It's also the biggest, the most unshakable symbol of God's presence he is able to imagine. 
For him, these massive stones hold religious memory. They symbolize Israel's identity. They are a symbol of spiritual glory, honor, and purpose. In short, what takes the disciples' breath away is the religious prowess and permanence that those glittering stones show to the world. That is what the disciple sees. But what does Jesus see? He sees ruin, destruction, rubble. The temple will not last. There will be loss, not glory. Not one stone will be left upon another. Jesus tells the stunned disciples, all will come down. Now, this passage from Mark's gospel is often categorized as apocalyptic. And if you're like me, your cultural references for apocalypse include war movies like Apocalypse Now, maybe some images of the Left Behind series, that fiction series from some years back, and maybe even the book of Revelation. When I hear the word apocalypse, I conjure up images of vacant-eyed zombies lurching through decimated neighborhoods. Not a very pleasant scene at all, right? But in fact, apocalypse means something very different than a horror movie. An apocalypse is an unveiling, a revealing, an uncovering, a disclosure of something secret and hidden. It is like the curtain being raised on the stage. To experience an apocalypse is to experience fresh sight and renewed vision. It is to understand that life is different than we've ever really known it before. Something new is in our midst. In this sense, Jesus offers his disciples a new vision. He invites them to look beyond the grandeur of the temple and recognize that God will not be limited to a building, any building, even the temple. The temple is not the epicenter of God's work. God is not bound by stone and mortar. No building, no institution, no mission statement, no strategic plan can contain or limit God. God cannot be enslaved in superlatives. We are the ones all too easily seduced by the biggest, by the newest, by the shiniest. Look, teacher, the disciples said, what large stones and what large buildings. Now, I think it's interesting that neither this gospel passage or any other passage in Mark records the disciples' response to Jesus' words. Most likely, they simply didn't get it, so there was nothing to say. They were dumbstruck at what Jesus was telling them. Similarly, I think these days we are pretty well dumbstruck by the recent events that have befallen us. This virus has come upon us, some would say, as a thief in the night, putting it biblically. And similarly, all kinds of false prophets have arrived to try to lead us astray, to draw our attention away from what the gospel calls us to do. I have to confess that in these times, they have been a bit unsettling for me too, I have seen more than a few empty shelves at the grocery stores and have stood far apart in line waiting my turn to get in. I have been disoriented and preoccupied with so many things going on in so many different ways. I've misplaced my wallet three times this past week with my head swimming with so many things going around. Now, taking note that the upcoming adult seminar series will be reading from Barbara Brown Taylor, 
I had a look back at one of her earlier books. I've read her for a very long time now. And in her sermon collection from 1998, titled God in Pain, her first sermon, drawing coincidentally from this passage of scripture, argues that disillusionment, as she calls it, is essential to the Christian life. Discombobulation, disillusionment, is the loss of an illusion about ourselves, about the world, about God. And while she says it is almost always a painful thing, it is never a bad thing to have our lives be redirected to the ways that God would have us live. It is change. It is what we are experiencing now. It is an apocalypse, a revealing, like it or not. Jesus came among his followers to show how to live when the walls come tumbling down. Instead of inciting hysteria, Jesus embodied calm strength and generous love in the face of darkening clouds. Don't be alarmed, he says. When truth is shaken and plague strike and imposters preach gospels of fear and hatred, don't give in to terror. Don't despair. Don't capitalize on chaos. God does not incite suspicion. God does not instill dread. In these troubling days, it's easy to despair or grow numb or to let exhaustion overwhelm us. But it is precisely now when things may feel eerily apocalyptic that it's time to respond with resilient, healing love. These words of Jesus bring hope to me because we are each and every one of us told to stay awake. It means to me that it is not just one or two or three of us who are told to be ready, But all of us are told to be ready. As my preaching buddy friend, Debbie McKinley, puts it, the question now isn't if this is an apocalypse. The question is, are we awake? Are we watching for the buds of the trees, the new life growing right underneath our feet? Are we tending the kingdom of heaven, the seeds of faith? Are we connecting and growing? Are we loving God and taking care of each other? Are we living life like it is short and precious? Are we treating each other like sisters and brothers? Are we grounding ourselves in God's living, loving word? I'd say, remember this. Like a flying trapeze artist, God is always there to catch you as you reach out to others. Just give it a try and see. And you will find God there waiting for you. Thanks be to God. Amen.